One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Daily Boys of What Culture, Michael Hanfler and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Duper. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review last night's AEW Dynamite. It's all right, wasn't it? I thought this was very good to excellent. I was probably lower than the consensus. Every single thing on this show that I really, really enjoyed, I might have had one flaw, one problem with, but... I was very, very encouraged, is the word, mm. rather than monumentally blown away, losing my mind. Yeah, it'd be, you'd have to get pretty carried away to just watch this one show and immediately assume that the power's back. Hamlet, your thoughts? Power's back, cool. <laughs> like always with AEW, more than, more than WWE could ever be, it's a vibe. Mm-hmm. It's about an energy, it's the intangibles. I don't know if it was just because finally we feel like uh, the direction that we've all been kind of seeing coming with the Elite and BCC has occurred now, um, or whether it's just because Double or Nothing is so close that it just feels like everything's going to have energy in the weeks to come, or even if it's just because, like, next week the punk money's coming through and everybody's just feeling <laughs> buoyed by how rich everybody's going to get. I don't know what it was, but... Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil. But, uh, aye, the vibes were there all night. If I'm, I will feels say this... big again. Yeah, I will yeah. say this... Uh, where I agree with Sidge, I also feel like there are certain moments on this show that I might not be as high on as other people, but I had a fabulous time watching the episode, and it's been a while since I felt I could say that for the whole two hours. Like, a lot of this felt like in that upper tier of mm. AEW, and not before time. Well, let's dive into it then, um, because you and I said this when we were chatting in the office this morning. We didn't call what was going to open the show, and we probably wouldn't have... Uh, because it was so out of the blue, but I thought it was perfectly positioned. It was the double jeopardy match uh, between Claudio Castagnoli and Ray Phoenix. Of course, the winner would get to fight for the loser's belt, whether it, or belts, if you... What, what happened, happened. Spoilers. Um, so, yeah, Claudio and Phoenix start us off. They're already in the ring because 
We ain't got time to waste on this show. <laughs> a lot to get into. Um, Phoenix obviously uses his speed, but Claudio just keeps catching him and like, initially hits him with a tilt world backbreaker. He uh, comes back to Phoenix with a triple jump hurricane runner. I feel like I'm not going to press this enough oh throughout this entire show, so apologies. But it's nice to hear her on a podcast, I suppose. Um, <laughs> oh. Claudio. I'm joking, of course. You're brilliant. Every bit of content you've produced today, you're taking a shot, haven't you? Uh, well, you know. Podcasting regularly is not for everyone. Um, Claudio. People need to stop missing when they're coming for the Kings. <laughs> no one's coming for us. No, no, no. <laughs> Renee Paquette, don't. We're about to start and fight. And I'm like, I yeah. love her as well. She's oh, great. And she put, she bloody put shifting on this show. You um, really want to be your scrappy do for these pointless <laughs> fights, that's all. <laughs> what have you got into us in now? Um, yeah, a couple of topes from Phoenix with the third time Claudio guess, uh, catches him. Presses him into the barricade, um, but then Phoenix comes back with a ridiculous hurricane runner after running along the barricade railing, which was ridiculous. Uh, yeah, high flying, uh, jaw dropping stuff back in the ring. Then Phoenix gets pressed over Claudio's head and launched into the crowd to take us to a break. Um, when we come back, Phoenix makes his comeback with a double jump moonsault out of the corners of the floor. Looked amazing. Oh my God! Claudio catches Phoenix uh, when they're back in, though, as he's flying in uh, with a with an uppercut. Um, Phoenix comes back with a thrust kick, but Castagnoli manages to catch him, hit him with that Ricola bomb, and get the one, two, three, which means that the well, Claudio and the BCC or whoever his opponent, who his partner decides to be, will get a shot at the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions down the line. Yeah, I thought this was sensational. And the red-hot crowd, I've missed hearing that. I have really missed it. And AEW give that red-hot crowd a reason to be red-hot with a match that, realistically, when you saw the graphic, you thought, if this dips below three and three quarters, it's going to be a disaster and a massive, monumental disappointment. I thought this was great. I thought it was a sensational opener. And I'm a, I've got a lot of latitude towards, quote-unquote, modern wrestling, where if something looks a bit contrived, if it's spectacular... I will kind of let it go. I thought they did such a great job of crafting and placing when Ray Phoenix did his stuff. It was established that Claudio Castagnoli, whom Kevin Owens once referred to as a human horse, had a absolutely gigantic power and size advantage. So when Ray Phoenix did the sprint across the ropes, except tweaking it to do the barricade mm. because he'd been monstered over the barricade. Really felt like mid-match strategy, like he was in the moment and an opportunity had presented mm -hmm. himself. Obviously, they worked, they worked themselves into this position, into this sequence, because it's predetermined. But I thought they did such a neat and immersive job of sort of justifying and folding in Phoenix's spectacular offense. Um, hot take alert... Claudio Castagnoli is an absolutely amazing base. <laughs> I, um, I saw a slowed down replay of the third, like, bullet from a gun tope where Claudio caught him. Don't watch it back because you can see the wires, but I thought that spot in the moment looked great mm. because you know how fast Phoenix explodes out of it and into it. Um, if I'm being a little bit pedantic, there were moments when they very much felt like they were working their very first match together. And that's fine because they were, in fact, mm -hmm. working their very first match together. But everything once, after a few hesitant setups, everything just looked mind-blowing. This was this is what AEW Dynamite should start with every single week. Yeah, yeah it sounds harsh to um, call this an over-delivery because it's Claudio and Phoenix. But I think it was anyway because mm. that opening spot 
is a bit of pressure. And I think none of us would have given them that because neither of them feel like your traditional hot opening wrestlers, which is so unfair. Look at them both. But it's just as a certain, I don't know, a certain uh, star quality that maybe neither of them have necessarily got in a, on AEW's roster right now. Yeah, I think if you'd been asked from memory, list the stuff that's going on on this Dynamite, yeah. this wouldn't be top of your head, would it? No, but then the match earned it and yeah. reminded you why they are where they are. Phoenix, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we got that running spot with Commanders and Vikingos in our head so recently. It was like, I'm still ranking Phoenix, you know. But to that point, I got the rush from his work that I haven't had for a long time. So it was not only was it effectively deployed as a way to have that like that reminder that there's probably a bit of professional competition going on for TV time and for critical acclaim, but also just as a fan and within the body of the match and your investment in the characters, you're kind of reminded that I've been with this guy a little bit longer and he's made me feel these feelings before. How can he elevate that game yeah. and make you feel them all over again? A really, really superb bit of business and did what it was supposed to do all along, which was serve as a primer for the rematch. This was always going to lead to another go-around. So if this was bad, then it was doubly bad because it would, wouldn't have you on the hook for whoever's fighting for whoever's title. This was great, and yet you felt they left, like, to Sidgwick's point, this was the first time they're wrestling each other. It was guaranteed to be happening again, and the second one could be even better. So yeah. it was a great sales pitch for the inevitable title match. Uh, we go backstage, we see a pair of feet that are revealed to be Miro's. He's back. Uh, Rene Paquette uh, asks why he's here, and he mugs her off a little bit by just walking straight into Tony Khan's office. More on that in a little bit when we get another surprise return. Um, they did video package. We didn't even talk about the world title on yesterday's preview because there's so much going on on this show. But there was um, vignettes for each of the four pillars uh, setting up their double or nothing title um, four-way, of course. First one is about the world champion, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. He talks about the pillars. He compares them to the Beatles. He says, uh, we all came out of nowhere. Sammy's the Ringo, talented and stupid. Jungle Boy's definitely the George. Darby is the weird Lennon. Uh, and then Maxwell Jacob Friedman's Paul McCartney. Uh, the best one, basically. That's so inspired because he, Paul McCartney, can I just say, is the best Beatle. And I mean... <laughs> Folks, where's the lie? Paul McCartney wrote, you never give me your money. He is therefore the best Beatle, okay? I understand the case for John Lennon. Absolutely, I do. I'm George Harrison is the low-key best Beatle in the minds of some because he's the hipster choice mm. because he's not John or Paul and he's written some of the best um, songs, melodies, whatever, in their back catalogue. But Paul McCartney wrote You Never Give Me Your Money, okay? Paul McCartney wrote Helter Skelter, okay? He's the best. <laughs> he is the best. But Maxwell Jacob Friedman is intelligent enough to grasp that he's the boring, safe, oh, you're a Paul guy choice. So that was a very nice, subtle bit of heel work, I thought. Mm. And like Paul McCartney is considered the salt of the earth as far as Beatles goes, isn't he? Yeah. So MJF finding that comparison point is quite cute yeah. as well. Absolutely. I will say as well, should we touch on the other ones and just the general presentation mm -hmm. of the Pillar storyline this week? A much-needed departure mm -hmm. from the live mic, edgy work shoot, promo train stuff that a lot of people had <coughs> criticised. Um, I still think the 3-to-1 babyface heel ratio is off, even though they'll play with it in the match, which is going to be a success. But that's not why you watch wrestling these days, I don't think. I would not have had Jack Perry film his stuff in front of his swimming pool. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's meant to be the humble I'm fighting for everyone. I'm not like 
affected by fame like MGF is. So I thought that was a weird production choice. The Darby Allen one was great, contextualizing mm. why he does these stupid things. And it's the fact that he's so determined to prove people wrong, which is why he does them, which is so much better than him cheering a bye. So I thought, all in all, a low-key success, this pillar stuff this week. It was surreal to have such a babyface one from Sammy Guevara, I thought. Yeah, but I suppose based on last week, yeah. he's turned like quasi-babyface in order to arrive at this four pillars match, so you kind of had to lean into that a little bit. Maybe you should just start saying he's not going to sign anything for anyone anymore, but it says it with, you know, peace and love. Yeah. Here's the Ringo. Very good. I just thought this felt like main event booking. Like, these are three men in a title match, and when there's title contenders in, on wrestling shows, there are times to just talk about fighting for the title. And on a show, on a, in a program that's been so convoluted, it was nice to simplify it. I don't know what juice is left in the fruit for the last two Dynamites. I'm finding it hard to see what you do with them, particularly. But yeah. this was good. Definitely keep something from the last Dynamite before Double or Nothing, though, yeah? Well, we're going to be all going well live in attendance yeah. for that yes. show. So, yes, please, I want the nice MGF go-home promo for that. Yeah, just... Like, the best promo of his run and a massively hot heat angle would be fine. And a Jeff Jarrett match. Yeah, singles. Uh, I, w- I want the proper theme before you get the tag one at the Double or Nothing, please. Um, yeah, uh, MJF ran through with some of his ridiculous, uh, amazing stuff that he's done along with video of, you know, dog collar match, Brian Danielson, Iron Man match, great stuff. Uh, he says his reign of terror has just begun, basically. Uh, and then we got another video package hyping up the main event as if we needed any more encouragement. And then down to the ring uh, comes people with uh, movie star good looks. Uh, FTR. They come down. <laughs> they invite their best friend, uh, Mark Briscoe, down to the ring. But instead, we got a brie didn't mm-hmm. we? Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh come down to the ring. Uh, and Sanjay... Because uh, they, they're looking for a, an answer for their double or nothing challenge for the tag title match uh, against FTR. Dax Harwood accepts, but only if they admit to using Mark Briscoe to get to them. And well, Sanjay sells, how dare you? Our best friend, if anything. Um, but before anything can happen, here comes Mark Briscoe. He's the best. <laughs> telling anyone his own inimitable way. Calm down, guys. Uh, relax. Um, and uh, he's spoken with Tony Khan. And the big news, Michael Sidgwick, yep. is that Mark Briscoe <laughs> is the special guest referee for the tag <laughs> title match at Double or Nothing. Uh, he's brought a drink to toast and he hands out cups and Jeff Jarrett boots it into the... What was it you compared it to? Well, it was like a sort of softer version of that time Brock Lesnar kicked John Cena's cap. Get out over there. I just hoofs it. I, I thought it was really quite sweet as well. Yeah. Like, nice to see. You know, these wrestlers can win these battles. Yeah. Nice. He's not going to have a neck of tequila just to celebrate a tag. He'll celebrate afterwards when he wins the tag titles. Yeah. Um, but none of that happens anyway because Sanjay Dutt mists um, FTR with the uh, with the drink. And uh, whilst Briscoe's trying to keep the peace, he gets pushed towards Dax Harwood, who can't see, and just decides to pile drive whoever's just bumped into him. Turns out to be Mark Briscoe. And, uh, well, job done, I suppose, if you're Triple J and the boys... Yeah, I, the pile driver I've seen generate a bit of discussion about whether or not that was too silly. But I think I'm willing to suspend my disbelief. I think, like, the, it's not like he's grabbed his face, and it's not like, because, like, I will say this, Dax's delivery was so great, it's like both a pulling motion and a spike one, that it wasn't enough time for Briscoe to go, stop, stop, stop. And I thought the delivery made all the difference. Have you seen the photo? No. Well, you can if you go on to wattculture.com slash WWE and, and read my ups and downs article because I've put a picture 
from AEW's official social media um, of Mark Briscoe's face. And he's selling it as if he's incredulous as what's happening to him. Yeah. Which is amazing because it happened in a flash. And that was my problem with this is that it was so rushed. AEW just does these things so quickly that there was no tension built here at all. And I could have believed the angle if it sort of resonated as this, like, transgression of, oh, I can't believe you've done this. But then the second that it happened, it was a schmoz and, like, just take an extra one or two minutes to set the scene, set the tension, make it feel like, oh, something might really go awry here because that these teams do not get along and they're playing games with each other and it just felt like a blur of things happening. But this entire segment was elevated by, once again, Mark Briscoe's secret cleverest guy in the room. <laughs> it is becoming abundantly apparent to me that you fellas can't control your emotions when you're in the same vicinity. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. I love him so much. And he's the only guy in recorded history who's going to pull off a special guest referee gimmick, other than Ken Shamrock. It's good this as well. This actually will get better than the segment, I think, because... AEW is a better product and Mark Briscoe is a better character than to just now blindly say, you pardon me, I hate you. This is not yes. as simple as that. He will watch the show, he will watch it back, he will realise Dax was blinded. He'll forgive, but he won't forget. And then the emotional connection becomes strained rather than broken. And that's better for the match. You need to believe that, I, I trust you, I know it was an accident. He still dropped me in my head and nearly broke my neck. Yeah. So I can feel a bit of bitterness, even if it's not, even if it's not going to break the friendship. But... I, I like there's just enough like for the for the match itself. There's also you can play with it in the match itself. There, 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 whether it's oh, I almost chinned the referee again here when they're setting up for something for FTR, or uh, more than more likely perhaps uh, the referee's blinded or whatever. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett kicks him in the bollocks, and then points at Dax Hall. <laughs> <laughs> he just kicks you in the nuts. You're gonna suffer that. Smashes him from behind his back with a guitar, and then like tries to blame it on Dax. Take this. <laughs> no. But, you know, as well as that, in terms of, like, the bit wider picture here, it's nice to see, you know, at least one of the three of us is making sure they... Pay attention, please. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to booking. Uh, Biscoff Latte, please, Sitch. Yeah, we had a bet, a coffee bet, on whether or not this would happen because Wilborn absolutely uh, nailed his prediction. And what happened this morning? You did offer, um, but um, I... I'm a, I like to someone. I like to be someone who really holds people in my debts. <laughs> you like to be, you like to be someone who takes ten minutes away from the office as your ritual. Yeah, it's we it's work. If anyone's listening, we we're always talking about you know we just it's it's a show plan. If anything, right, Amblet? Yeah, yeah. Production meetings on the move. Just wants to go to the coffee shop and have ten minutes to himself. Shout out to the guys, the boys. Yeah. We'll get him sponsor the podcast for free. Yeah, no, do anything. Lovely, lovely. Didn't, didn't have prime today. James will be disappointed. Oh, God. Uh. But well, I'll tell you something after the pod. Okay. Um, Renee Paquette this time is backstage with Chris Jericho. Um, asks how he's how is he doing after Adam Cole beat the sh- have him last week, basically. He got slapped by Britt Baker. But he says, well, Adam Cole created an unsafe work environment. He's a coward. I've sought legal counsel. I've got a court order. And it means that if I'm in the building, Adam Cole is banned. He's not allowed inside. And so here comes Roderick Strong. He says, Jericho, you're delusional. Um, Adam Cole's one of my best friends. He's no coward. Look, Adam Cole might be banned, but I'm not. So I'm a knuckle fight then. False count anywhere. Um, next week, obviously, I was thinking, don't do it tonight. Bloody hell, you got enough on. And it's an impromptu match. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and Jericho says, look, I understand you standing up for your friend. It's a good quality, um, but you try and make a name for yourself against me, I'll knock your teeth down your throat. Let's have a fight next week. Um, but don't worry, I've got a whole army behind me. And Roderick Strong's like, well, yeah, about that. I've got a legal counsel as well. And now the JAS is banned from the building for that. I will preview it next week. No point going into it now. There's a good and bad version of everything. This is a good version of, like, legal obstacles and hurdles because we know what it's referencing, and I just enjoyed it. And I'm in for the ride for Cole Jericho. I think this has been a stellar program. It's funny, isn't it? The, like, it's kind of out there at the moment that the punker wants uh, Samoa Joe, but uh, Chris Jericho wants the punker. So we're going to keep going down this route until he gets as much of what he wants as he can from <laughs> this collision debut, the big marquee match they want to promote. Um, Excalibur's talking about Miro showing up earlier and uh, they cut back to Tony Khan's office again Renee Paquette is there uh, and this time um, she sees Thunder Rosa showing up um, and she says tonight's the night to get answers uh, she's going to go and see Tony Khan as well yep I'll talk about this when we get to Tony Khan so I've got a problem a very pedantic problem well, he's uh, right around the corner this was the where we got the uh, baby face uh, Sammy Guevara uh, video package. Uh, he's he's not a sidekick. He's a star. That's why Chris Jericho brought him in. Take on. He says he's in the main event where he belongs. He's born born to do this. He had a dream, uh, and he's going to make it come true. Basically, uh, then Tony Khan is thrown to by the team. Uh, he talks about how tonight's one of the strongest dynamite cards they've had. Uh, even with that, though, there are still so many talented wrestlers backstage that can provide content. Uh, and uh, next week, which is in just under. Uh, there's going to be a huge announcement on AEW Dynamite. Okay, it's obviously, we're doing Collision. We're doing another two hours of proper primetime anti-Rampage TV, okay? <laughs> and a deal, I've been led to believe, was struck within about 35, 40 minutes. <laughs> so, no, no, I'm pedantic, right? I like this. I want, the, I want the, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. So, without warning, Miro, because it's sold as a shock, Tony Schiavone and Excalibur were brilliantly here going, him? That was good. So he knocks on Tony Khan's office, okay? A few minutes later, Thunder Rosa does the exact same thing. Between Thunder Rosa leaving that office and Tony Khan making that announcement, he's been on the blower to Warner Media and negotiated a deal <laughs> to get two hours of primetime TV. No, when does this make sense? Because it makes no sense to me whatsoever. I thought this was really clumsy and really thoughtless and really contrived. And I'm the only person who cares, I think. <laughs> I'm honestly the only person who cares. But the insinuation was that had Miro not knocked on the door, Tony Khan wouldn't have had to realize, hang on, I've got too many people on my roster. Need another two-hour show? Like, am I wrong? No, I get it. I completely get it. They've played too fast and loose with people's knowledge slash assumptions of this new show. Well, these things take months, yeah. sometimes years to negotiate. That they've allowed the story to be quite slapdash. I think because they know Unless that... the argument is, he's got collision, and uh, he said, rang up Miro and gone, can you come along on well, Wednesday? We're here. Well, this isn't even Sidgwick's specific complaint, mm. but two meetings over the course of a dynamite shouldn't have been what Tony Khan needed to be told that his roster's too full. Yeah, Like, he should have known that <laughs> weeks ago, months ago. Like, it's Wait not, a second. Right, that's exactly too, too many. I need two more hours. Also, minor bugbear and mine, don't call it content. 
we know that's the world we live in now, but like, can you pretend that this is like, you know what, you know how you love this sport? Here's some more. Yeah. Like more stages for these great wrestlers to compete on. Don't admit to what it actually is. Tony Khan is getting um, worryingly composed <laughs> on screen, which I do not like. <laughs> now, he's prepared to do it more often. He's not weird. He's not visibly, like, uncomfortable. He's a very composed, dignified guy who's on TV a lot. I feel like a dam is bursting, and I do not want to get drowned in that. <sighs> Stay away. We're going to need to go to Adam Pierce to find out what's next on Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, I've got something that will cheer you up now, Sige, because it's time for the international title match. Um, and if you're uh, wondering what that noise is, that's me and Sige doing the Daniel Garcia dance. You didn't even properly put your hand over your face that way. Just because I, I, I keep forgetting what this like covered your own eyes. I am in love with all of this. I'm genuinely annoyed that I didn't film me doing the Daniel Garcia dance at the wedding that I did went to last weekend. Just sent it to you just to pop you. Just me in the middle of <laughs> what are you doing? Get out of the way. It's the first dance, Adam. <laughs> um. Cassidy catches Garcia off guard initially with a bit of uh, mat wrestling, uh, but Garcia counters and does his little dance. Um, back and forth, drop toe hold by Garcia, but Cassidy brilliantly blocks it and uh, struts away and then does his pocket stuff. Um, he didn't taunt the dance, Cassidy. Missed opportunity no. for a gag there. Mm. Uh, Garcia goes after the, obviously... I was going to say, after the injury of Cassidy, which one? <laughs> the hand here um, launches him to the corner, back suplex on the edge of the ring and the barricade. Um, and as we go to picture in picture, Garcia keeps doing that and uh, flips the crowd off and does the mocks the pocket pose, of course. Um, when we come back, Cassidy's blocking a superplex, but Garcia hits at the bad, bad hand and connects, uh, but rolls through only for Cassidy to hit him with a stun dog millionaire. 
Garcia traps Cassidy's hands in his pockets, goes for a pile driver, but Cassidy still manages to hit a ridiculous beach break for a near fall. That was awesome. Garcia avoids... We're gonna do it! <laughs> Sorry. It does sort of work. Oh, my God. Yeah. Garcia avoids the orange punch, a low drop kick. Uh, he does the kicks. Uh, snap pile driver. Cassidy fires off a strike, hits uh, another beach break, but Garcia kicks out and puts him in the dragon tamer. Uh, Cassidy's trying to battle to the ropes, gets pulled back into the middle of the ring. Garcia transitions into a cross face. I'm going, this is it. It's, it's coming here. Stomping on the bad hand repeatedly. Oh, goes, to re- oh, my God. goes to reposition, but ends up trading pins with Cassidy, who catches him in that crucifix and gets the flash pinfall victory. And uh, Garcia's, Garcia's face is always a picture. It's a... He's Oil so painting, handsome. But it was quite the picture here when he realised, oh, I've messed up here. Body language, storytelling, technical wrestling. This is so unbelievably great. This might be my favourite thing on the entire show. I am in love with this Daniel Garcia arc. It is so fantastic. It is the perfect exploration of what this medium can be. It is episodic storytelling, week to week, the slowest of slow builds, which if done correctly, will result in the most powerful gratification. And it's fused with this interactive performance art element that makes the fans feel like they are driving it. Mm. It's the perfect collaboration between episodic TV and performance art as a live thing. These fans are being trusted to say, no, no, you're a wrestler, and they chant it, and it's the hook, and I love it so much, and... The idea that Garcia was so close is expressed in this excellent wrestling match with those furious pinfall trade and trade-off sequences was just immaculate. And the slow realization on Garcia's face of, I just didn't stop dancing like it. I stopped dancing like a complete twat. Maybe I could have really just got this one and won a friggin' title. And the dance is perfect because... It's the thing in storyline that is preventing him from realizing his goals and winning titles. It's the thing in reality that's getting him over Mm -hmm. and being highly entertaining that is driving this connection and this synergy with the audience to make all of this happen. I think it's genuinely, this might be my favorite story in all of wrestling. This match was certainly where I felt the power was back more than in the main event, truthfully, because... Aside from everything Sidgwick has beautifully articulated about Daniel Garcia, this was all still wrapped in uh, Orange Cassidy's amazing national title. Yes. Right? Yet again, a fantastic title defense. 21 now? Yeah. Matches, I think. And We've it, got a predo on all of this, by the way. It's, carry it's on. so good. It'll, it'll go, like, probably underappreciated, like, as it's happening, because as much as people have, like, there's been that many defenses now that people are just buzzed for an Orange Cassidy title match, it's still... Just, in inverted commas, the international title. It's never going to, like, headline a show or anything. So it's only ever going to reach a certain point. And, yeah, I did feel like this was yet another peak for this title reign. It just gets better and better and better. He builds up yet more pedigree, yet more credibility as a future world heavyweight champion if AEW want to go that route. Or certainly one of the most awesome challenges for MJF. Cannot wait for that. Um, Garcia, at this point, never thought I'd make this comparison. Garcia is reminding me of Booker T., and not just any Booker T, your favourite Booker T, Adam Wilborn, when he would do that preposterous accent in the main event Mafia. Uh, oh, my God. And he was trying to uphold this gimmick that even he didn't seem to know what it was. But he was really brilliant at it all the same. And then a baby face would really piss him off 
or just take the mick out of him in such a way, then suddenly the Houston, Texas Booker T would just creep mm. out. And he's just, he's in the middle of going, respect. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, he would just, and then Charmel would have to, like, calm him down. Or the main event mafia would have to, Danny Garcia was doing that physically because the Blackpool Combat Club closing sequence, the stomps and everything that snuck out from the sports entertainer was gorgeous here. It was absolutely fantastic. And it's not even for joining the BCC anymore because they're horrible. It's just to become a babyface. And for AW to make the babyface turn, being a wrestler is why AW existed in the first place. And that's to Sidgwick's point, just how big and great and magical this turn can be because it's not anymore about coming on board with the absolute best because that prick's gone back to WWE and the BCC <laughs> becomes something entirely different and better. But the ethos is what will one day motivate Daniel Garcia to leave all this behind. I love this. I love the bones of this. Even to the extent where later on, Orange Cassidy's character was so protected that we got that lovely bit with Renee Paquette, which again was proper freedom of expression stuff between yeah. the two of them. Perfect. There's a video package uh, highlighting Sheeda's return last week and the very clever swerve that they did. Um, but the outcasts mock how she's back in Japan this week and uh, issue us. There's a six woman tag match challenge issued, which is accepted by Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. It's a double or nothing match. What's the double or nothing mm. match? Maybe it's Soraya versus Hater. So mm. Soraya goes over. They continue this through blood and guts. And then Hater versus Soraya at Wembley. That's what I would do. Or they pull the trigger on the Baker turn and do Hater Baker at Wembley. But then Baker getting cheered. Like, tricky that, isn't it? People yeah. are probably going to want to cheer Baker at Wembley. Mm. Christian Cage comes out, flanked, of course, by Luchasaurus. Tony Giovanni talks to him about challenging Wardlow last week. And he says, first of all, Detroit is literally the worst city in the country. Let's <laughs> get that out of the way. Keep quiet. Uh, people are probably wondering why he's the number one contender. Because he's Christian Cage. He uh, simply walks into the boss's office. He got the shot. When your name has the cachet that his does, you get the shot. Um, but he's got a question for Tony Schiavone, actually. Uh, or Tony Khan. Tony, he just says. Um, what's with all these wrestlers and their daddy issues? It is simple. Uh, much like Jungle Boy, Wardlow's got some daddy issues. But let's face it, Wardlow's dad wasn't famous enough to bury, and no one cares about him. This is genius because everyone knew he was going to say the line, except no one knows how good he is, so he did a better, more callous version of that. You just made me realise as well, this is kind of this Tony Khan thing, Sid highlighted, is inadvertently buried Christian. Because Christian, like... I know I get things around here. I knocked on the door and I got myself a TNT title shot. Uh, Mira and Thunder Rosa got a billion dollar TV deal, Christian. Yeah. It's a catch up. Right there. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> uh, the rankings, mate. <laughs> he, uh, he says, Wardlow found Arn, a father figure, uh, which is a good job for him. Uh, Arn was looking for a new son himself. Oh, boy. Uh, Arn's son, Brock, is a wrestler here. Um, Everybody just takes a breath and we move forward. Yeah. Um, Cage says, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Arn's a liar. Um, last thing he wanted to say, <laughs> the last thing he said, sorry, was he wanted to set Brock up for success. And then he saw Wardlow with his new title and uh, get out of the way, Brock. Uh, hopped over to Wardlow, took all the credit. Um, I guess being Ric Flair's lapdog for years makes you a legend. But how many times has uh, Arn won the big one? Hmm. Just asking questions. He says, oh, yeah, none. I'm a multi-time world champion. Uh, unlike Arn, I understand what it takes. Um, what a line. Yeah. What will Woodlow do when he realizes his legend is not as smart, smart and cunning as he is? Cage, that is. Next week, Wardlow's going to be in this ring, and Cage is going to walk over, spit in his face, and Wardlow's going to realize his days as TNT champion are all but over. Oh, one more thing, Detroit. Kiss my ass. Uh, Christian Cage is the perfect c
<laughs> he is amazing at being a c like he knows the intersection between being loathsome and being entertaining. You can't be too funny as a heel because people will just start cheering you. You can't be too boring and you're meant to hate me, guys. Even though I'm no, providing no entertainment value in your life whatsoever. That's not a good heel, neither is the opposite. He's found that intersection with his perfectly pitched black comedy and intelligence because the lines are really funny. The subtext in one of them just I wasn't a fan of, but the, the Wardlow stuff, he just found it perfectly. He did the line that everyone wanted him to say deep down, except because he's a superior smug arsehole, he actually found a better one than you did. Mm. And he wasn't yucking it up. He was deadly serious. He's amazing, Christian Cage. Yeah, a master of all of this. The um, I really appreciated what I took to be a bit of AW spiderwebby stuff here, and I, I miss that. He said he wasn't going to bury Wardlow's dad because he just wasn't a big enough deal. And then he moved on to Brock Anderson, and who is Brock Anderson partners with? Brian Pillman. So I could well see who's got a dad that Christian Cage probably would want to reference and bury and bother. And I could well see Luchasaurus being set on poor Brock Anderson and Brian Pillman Jr. Like it, or like a tag where Christian just lets Luchasaurus absolutely savage these two. And that links, that gives a reason for Brock Anderson to be introduced to this because now Arn Anderson is tied right in emotionally and he needs Wardlow to get revenge on his behalf. And you've suddenly found a lot more emotion than just a TNT title match. Hmm. Then we got the video package on Darby Allen, which was just great. And he talks about the death-defying stuff that he does outside of the wrestling ring, getting him ready for it because he's got this reckless wrestling style. Uh, and we hear from Sting saying how he got, you know, it relates to him and the way he got into wrestling. Uh, and Darby Allen says he's going to go to double or nothing and become AW world champion. Then it was time for the no-holds-barred match. Julia Hart and Anna Jay went to war here. Uh, whilst uh, Julia Hart's making her entrance, Anna Jay runs out and nails her in the back with a chair, and they just started beating the crap out of each other here. Um, Jay gets sent into the barricade. There's some kendo stick shots, a snap suplex from Anna Jay on the floor. Um, Julia Hart got posted. Um, no, sorry, Julia Hart posted Jay, and she gets the, the kendo stick. Um, and they start smashing the face into the tables that are uh, ringside uh, and taking control. Julie Hart does join the uh, ads. Um, there's bins and stuff being hoied into the ring. Each woman just trying to set up weapons. Uh, Jay got uh, rammed into a corner chair whilst uh, Hart got slammed face first into that stack of chairs that were uh, set up on the outside. Um, this is when Anna Jay used that trash can over Julia Hart and just smashed her into it. Um, Anna Jay piles up the bunch of chairs in the ring this time. Hart spins out of a brain buster, fights the corner, and hits a superplex uh, where Anna Jay just catches the, the the chairs, which is a relief, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, uh, I wanted to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the fans did too, because yeah. audible groans. Um, but in the end, Julia Hart puts her in Heartless whilst they're in the chairs, and uh, Anna Jay is forced to submit. I give them all the credit in the world here. I thought they not only committed to the violence, even if they blew the big table-turned set-piece near the finish, they still committed to it. They still grafted their arses off. And more importantly, like they, with the strike exchanges early, like established the tone. But it would be generous to say that the fans really cared about this, and I still think that AEW did them no favours. It was hard for that audience to invest in this match when they knew, like... 
momentarily they were going to get what was promised to be one of the most violent matches in AEW history. Um, I just suffered from being on the same show. They suffered from the wider macro problem through which all AEW women's matches suffer in that they are just not built as being important. So I just felt sorry for them, but I was shaken from that pity when they just beat the out of each other. So <laughs> all the credit in the world, and I mean all of it, goes to the talent here. Yeah, it's sort of like the opposite um, of the when we're critical of the NXT women's matches where... Like this week, like in particular, there was like we isolated problems with some execution, and there were problems with execution here. But at no point did I not believe these two were in a fight. Yeah, and it never feels typically in AW, and especially not here, considering the experience levels of both of these women. It never felt choreographed, and it never felt like they were working through all those bits they were told to go through. Mm. And that's quite like I will forgive somewhat shaky execution if I at least can get you know, dragged into the violence of it and just believe it. And I never get that with those developmental grade matches on NXT. Yeah. And I typically always get them here. And again, I agree with Sid, like a credit to them too for making a believer, aren't they? Well, before we move on. It's time to play the game. Time to play time the game. game. Before we get to the uh, the name of the game, I'll do the right order around this time. What's the uh, what's the aim of the game here, Sige? The aim of the game is to identify to the hour, minute, and second the first time you hear the first note of the first woman to appear for the obligatory women's match. Do you want to score that it is an obligatory women's match? And God damn it, they need to be better represented because the lack of parity in this company, nearly four years into the anniversary, is bad and wrong. That's the aim of the game. The name of the game. Is this as late as night? And I'm thinking, oh, what a night. Ah. <laughs> Shout out, as always, uh, to Adam Blair at Adam Wilton4 on Twitter and Jose Palomares at the Ho11, who always deal with the um, data for this sort of thing. Um, we made our predictions, of course, on the Dynamite preview yesterday. Michael Sidgwick, what were the times we guessed for the obligatory one women's match on AW <laughs> Dynamite in descending uh, order? I don't know, and I never will. <laughs> I haven't learned it, and I refuse to now. <laughs> Not gone this far. <laughs> Michael Sidgwick. No hours, 22 minutes and 16 seconds, which would have been better. Dumbass. Michael Hamflet. No hours, 40 minutes and no seconds. Dumbass. Adam Wilborn. One hour, 18 minutes and three seconds. Bingo! <laughs> not really. It was close. It wasn't... It's miles off, wasn't it? <laughs> it was close, but not the cigar. Yeah, it was... It was like on a technicality basically yes uh, Adam Blair um, sort of helped me win this one because he said they've alternated so next week boys it's going to be in the first hour probably because that's mm -hmm. what they've done for the last I think six weeks now um, that's nice Sid. that means we get the traditional dead last quarter hour women's match at the Dynamite we're at yeah. the way it was meant to be a proper Dynamite an authentic experience not like, not like Raw in the UK where they put the big flags up and get the bus out this is going to look like a proper Dynamite yeah. you're going to get to sing pre-woo live and then sing ladies nights all going in well. attendance yeah. um, and sit there quietly awaiting the main event like a good Dynamite crowd member one hour, three minutes, 26 seconds. Two in a row for me. Top of the hour. <laughs> Top of the hour, do you? I'm a bit of a... Just call me butter, baby, because I'm on a bit of a roll here. Uh, a three. Bit, that's a bit, a bit of a, a good roll. sign. Wouldn't you put butter on all of the roll? 
Like you, you don't like condiments, you boring twat. Butter's not a condiment. Butter's not a condiment. Hey, hey, hey. Twat for our American <laughs> listeners. Twat. Like butter, do you? Yeah. It's not a condiment. What's your favourite type of butter? Lurpak? Uh, Marge. Is it? Lurpak's butter, I think. Not not brand loyalists, I must say. Okay, sure. I'm about. Or that, like, or the Asda own brand version of I can't believe it's not butter. I forget. It's called something like what? Not butter. <laughs> something like, it's got like some, some equally incredulous name, like Asda's. You must be f-ing kidding. This isn't butter. <laughs> uh, yeah, three correct guesses for me this year: five for Sidgwick and five for Hamlet. Very close at the top uh, now. So, Renee Packer, again, this time he's backstage with the best amigos. Good. Yeah. Uh, best friends and Bandino. And, uh, uh, again, I feel like just, just obligatory now. Injured Orange Cassidy, just held together now. Did you see Dan Housen's tweet about this, by the way? No. Dan, with obviously, then with Bandino, Dan Housen has been replaced by a burglar. <laughs> that's all right, that's good. Um, Orange Cassidy says that. There's room for three more titles in this, this backpack of mine. Um, and Renee Paquette asks what their stipulation is for this house rules match. I didn't realise this was a thing. I thought when they said dealer's choice, it was dealer's choice as to whether it's no DQ or not. But I can't make head in the tail. So the challengers are dealers. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you've got the bells. Go into a casino. I'll take it from here. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> it sort of caught the best friends off guard, as with the rest of us, apparently. So Trent said no spooky witches ringside. Tell you what, it was a nice attempt to get Julia Hart over. Mm. This and I quite enjoyed that. Uh, that was the limit. Orange Cassidy just says he's exhausted. <laughs> Renee gives him a look like you're not the only one. Loved this. Brilliant. It's the, the deadpan was so well done. You want it to feel real, don't you? I'm tired, Renee. <laughs> 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 Me too, bud. Um, so then it was time for the open house match for the uh, AW Trios Championships. It was the uh, versus the best amigos. Before we talk about the match, we should talk about the Visuals, the spooky lighting. I can, oh, re- it. I can remember barely anything about the match as a result of the spooky lighting. I liked the spooky lighting. You're a fed head. In spite of <laughs> my, well, in spite of myself, because typically when they do this, I don't like it. Like the fiend stuff has always been terrible. Uh, the Sinkara? the literal lights out match in NXT. Oh god, like right. it's it doesn't work. I don't think it, it. I don't think it creates the effect that they want when they do it. And yet, I. Kind of, I like the house rules thing because I thought this is going to add much needed identity to this trios run, however long it lasts, because the division's on its ass. The belts aren't that prestigious, but the House of Black can just make these matches mean something every time. Well, we've recorded a Q&A podcast, which is coming away uh, uh, this afternoon, and uh, I think we've picked the trio that dethrones the House of Black on there, didn't we? We did. Yeah. But listen to the podcast, check that out. Uh, the visual, I will say this, the visual signifier one day will mean more than this trio's reign ever did because somebody on Twitter will be like, uh, House of Black's uh, special lighting was goaded. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, just, you know it, right? So, but f- I don't know. I didn't hate this at all. And typically when WWE does it, I do. So I don't know, wh- I don't know what that was. Maybe it just, just suit this act better. Brody King looks even scarier in the dark. Malachi Black was back in his fight shorts. Yeah, so that's what I, did just it for him, isn't it? Aesthetically speaking, I was just on board with all of this. And the best amigos looked like they didn't belong, and that's what champions should do to challengers, typically with a wrestling match. But it's Malachi Black, and he loves Suzuki bollocks, doesn't he? So you get a bit of this and all. Ultimately, I thought this was a terrible idea, and I hope they abandon it. I think they might. I, I hope think this might do. be a one-and-done, this. 
abandon it immediately. This is a terrible idea. If you've got a wrestler as good as Bandido, and he's in there with Malachi Black, and you can barely remember, much less concentrate on what's happening, it's bad. It's bad. Aesthetically, it did a lot for Brody King in particular. There was a moment in this match, the one moment where I got sucked into the ambience was when literally bathed in darkness, looking like a black metal overlord, Brody King led the crowd in a chant of, like, barks. It really felt ominous. That's the only time I felt it vaguely didn't look or feel really, really hokey. Mm. It did a lot for the aesthetic of the House of Black, but it just literally overshadowed the action in the comeback because when the baby faces were doing their stuff, it just looked like... <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It just it, it only works when the House of Black are doing cool monster stuff. It does not work when the baby faces are on offense, so it only works half the time. What's more, there was a moment in this match where apparently, how cool would have this looked had the lights been on and it looked normal, right? And looked good and looked like not fake wrestling. Brody King, when doing his running senton thing against the barricade to a seated trend, dented the barricade. Oh. And I only found out about this on socials after. Can you imagine what it would have looked like? I think there might have been a more than serviceable trios match happening, but I couldn't really concentrate. Yeah. It looked like, right, as well. Remember Thunder in 2000, in the one I came up Aye. with? Remember Five Star Wrestling in the UK? Yeah, that was yes. when. So for the uninitiated, I'll be quick. We've only got 15 minutes left. <laughs> there was a Money Mark promotion, so terrible and so carny that. You can probably trace it to CM Punk's delayed AEW mm. debut because what happened is mm. Five Star Wrestling decided to just book the likes of Carlito. I know he got a pop, but in like the mid 2020s, his name value was nothing. And like Kennedy was there. Swagger. Swagger. Like the, the cookie cutter overpushed developmental rejects. Basically, they booked them all in like these massive indoor arenas in the UK and there weren't draws and no one came. And it was embarrassing. Like about a couple of hundred people turned up to ten thousand seater arenas. They were televised. They the were rarity televised. of national televised wrestling at that point in the it UK felt like uh, proto pandemic wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> you, they only lit up the first two rows. Yeah, and I remember. It just aesthetically looked indistinguishable. This House of Black stuff to mm. five star wrestling doing the <laughs> major arena loop in the UK, and I just got horrible memories. I thought it just didn't work at all abandon this it was bad lowering the lights for no reason <laughs> what is this arthur ash yeah <laughs> what did they did they offer punk a million dollars oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah so to go back to the punk things that's more interesting it's a publicity stunt yes. when they realized oh my oh my god <laughs> <laughs> these shows are going to look and sound horrific they floated publicly that they would pay cm punk one million dollars to appear on their show tracing it back now tony uh, cm punk as with a lot of wrestlers has said that when he first touched base with tony khan well before aew actually launched in the case of cm punk he just couldn't believe it it's like they've heard the the, the urban legend of the billionaire mm. financier who's going to set up a new promotion he just didn't believe it so he's never going to debut for aew and five-star wrestling might have played a part in that because they were money marks who had a failing business who had no clue what they were doing, but they obviously had enough money to hire these arenas. 
they just pissed it all up the wall. Mm. So Punk and Cabana work that uh, Jeff Katz thing that never got televised. Yeah, and all the wrestlers got paid like this supposedly amazing LA like wrestling project thing that they felt taped a bunch of television for. It was going to be a huge breakout TV thing. Never got picked up. Never aired anywhere. It's probably on some rare DVD or whatever. Jeff Katz, the guy that promoted it, kind of like ran off into the night when he realised <laughs> that he didn't have the money to fund it anymore and other wrestlers were going to get paid. They'd, they'll have been burnt by this so many times, yeah. haven't they? Money marks and the like. And that's what I want to be reminded of when I watch AEW Dynamite. <laughs> so early on, uh, Black puts Bandido in a leg lock. Bandido makes it to the ropes and the commentators have to remind themselves, that, oh, bloody hell, no rope breaks in here, is there? Um, didn't so, explore the rules enough. Mm. Mm. Bandido uh, rolled to the floor, um, and we go to break after Brody King just steamrolls everyone, basically. Uh, when we come back, Bandido makes the hot tag. Torneo on Buddy Matthews, crucifix bomb on uh, King. Uh, he wipes out both of them on the floor with a dive. Tries to do a springboard onto Buddy Matthews, who just nails him with a mid-air V-trigger. Um, Chuck comes in, um, hits soul food, but King makes the tag, uh, and uh, they flatten Chuck Taylor. Dante's Inferno, one, two, three, they retain the titles. You had to, it just felt like a three-star trios match to me, this. They mm-hmm. didn't establish the rules. I thought it was going to be carnage when they were going to be brawling on the outside and teasing the 20 count. What's a 20 count going to do in a trios match? What does that look like? There's always someone in the vicinity of the ring. I just feel like this is typically Malachi Black overthought nonsense. And if he just thought a little bit less, he'd be one of the best in the world. Now that we know the dealer's choice is actually the challenger's choice, I'm curious as to what the acclaim do with that. In what lights up, please. Yeah, in what <laughs> like, we'll, we'll just every team. Yeah. Don't answer, please. Uh, we've decided that we're going to diminish your entire aura. We're going to kill the bit. Yeah. Like there, because that's the double or nothing match. They're the number one contenders. So I'm, maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're, they've given some power inadvertently to these baby faces that can <laughs> maybe be. You guys are spooky, but we want the fans to be able to. Pay attention, please. To turn the lights up. <laughs> I should mention, by the way, we had shots of Orange Cassidy watching backstage, which was then justified because when they cut back, Orange Cassidy's been laid out and uh, Cole Fletcher says, Ozzy, 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 and he, he's beating him up. And Problem with the, this. He's got all the build. Problem with this. Remember when you'd have the lights on, lights off, lights on, and it's the Butcher and the Blade, and there's Excalibur going through the Wikipedia page because he's the hell of the Butcher and the Blade. Miro was revealed like this, and it's like, no, it's Miro. It's Thunder Rosa. Who's that guy again? Like, this was a similar reveal yeah. to those. And, like, not a digger, Fletcher, or Aussie Open. I know they've appeared on television before, but he's not with Osprey and Mark Davis. Mm. He's not in Aussie Open gear, whatever that is. I know he's got a bail with him. Like, there's, there was... Featured a, a lot on Rampage, which obviously doesn't have as much viewership as Dynamite. Clearly not from the awesome crowd in Detroit. There was a definite feeling in the building of, is, is that? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, less than ideal. Um, but long term, I saw your tweet about where this could be headed in. Yeah, I, if it's Orange Cassidy, Will Osprey too. Fabulous. Yeah. Never would have seen it coming. Perfect sequel. Uh, and then we got the, the uh, video package for Jungle Boy um, talking about uh, Double Nothing's going to be spectacular. He wrestles. He's devoted to becoming the best wrestler in the world. Putting time in the ring. He's going to become world champion. And then it was time for the main event of the evening. Uh, Kenny Omega versus John Moxley in a steel cage match. Not only that, but get Brian Danielson on commentary as well. And I just love the amount of times they'd either cut to him or, you know, his commentary was great, obviously. And there's one bit when they cut to him and he looked like all of his Christmases had come at once. Uh, and he was just sadistically really enjoying man. it as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope he's all right, though. 
Like he keeps being marginalised physically. Yes. I hope everything's okay. <laughs> Just with what we know of him. Yeah. Um, but they don't wait to get in a steel cage. Uh, Omega and Moxley brawl. Um, here come Claudio and, and Yuta to attack Omega. Here come the Young Bucks to even it all out. Um, and there's a bit where it looks like Nick, I think, was going to go after Brian Danielson, uh, but realises, oh, no, my brother's getting a crap bean out of him. So he does a big dive off the stage onto Yuta and Castagnoli, and they fight off security, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the steel cage, uh, the match starts. Omega immediately goes under the ring and pulls out a barbed wire-wrapped steel chair. We're starting there, are we, lads? Okay. Uh, he chucks it at Moxley. Um he drapes it over his back and hits a horrible-looking double stomp. Horrible. It was correctly done. It just looked, yeah. oh, I wouldn't want to take it in a million years. Um, John Moxley's busted open, surprise, surprise. Um, he uh, drove Omega into the camera, uh, or the cameraman's camera, and uh, gave a kiss to the camera. Oh, I wish I was the camera. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, didn't mess about with the bumps into the cage either. Omega got launched spine first. It would feel like a weapon. Thank, thanks, Kenny, because I <laughs> y- y- you need to do that. Uh, barbed wire chair shot to the back as Kenny gets his own back. Uh, as again, Danielson's just just loving this. Um, Omega comes back with a Katara crush and a body slam onto the chair. Um, but Moxie comes back with a suplex onto the chair. Stop doing it on the chair. Sucks on your back. Um, Moxley just goes bonkers, uh, unscrews the uh, the top rope and a t- couple of the turnbuckles, and uh, fish hooks Kenny Omega, uh, and then chokes him with the uh, the ropes as well, which they remind everyone aren't ropes; they're steel wire and uh, horrible. Um, Moxie goes under the ring. I'm like, oh, what, what, what are we doing here? Where are we going? Please not light tubes, but no, it's a bag of broken glass. Spreads it out, but that's allowed Omega to recover. He hits a neck breaker. He's going to one-winged angel uh, Moxie onto the glass, but Moxie transitions into a rear naked choke, so Omega decides, fine, guess we're both going into this then, and jumps backwards, driving Moxie onto the glass. And Omega's like, oh, thank goodness for that one. And Moxie immediately <laughs> fires straight back up and sinks the cho- takes the choke in, despite the fact there's a great shot of the glass just sticking out of his back. Whilst Tony Schiavone's like, you can't... A lot of people have to go to the hospital to get that sort of thing removed. Um, uh, Omega rolls through a pile driver attempt, charging knee for the double down, um, and then comes the spot Sige. Omega runs at Moxley, and he hits a V-trigger on John. Oh, there's no top rope, don't forget. So he runs, he hits a V-trigger on John Moxley so hard that they both go through the cage. And um, which part of uh, Kenny Omega's body did landed on the what was left of the cage wall? Cack. <laughs> really, really risky spot in terms of like, that could put you out of action. Not, well, cack wise also, but <laughs> just like tear your ligaments in your legs or whatever. Um, he gets them fixed and he's the best balls machine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Mox- so Moxley lands, goes through the, the cage wall and lands on the outside. Omega lands. Cack. Uh, <laughs> Moxie's recovered. Oh, I wish I was a part of a cage. <laughs> Moxley recovers first. <laughs> Get a good view for the whole of Dynamite, to be fair. Looking down. Good point. That's one of the most feasible ones yeah. for once. Um, <laughs> for one night. Right, back in the truck for eight months. <laughs> it's just pitch black in this truck. Kenny Maker's balls were nice, but yeah. it's not worked out again. Um, <laughs> then there's a, 
like a, someone's there with a screwdriver on the outside. Moxley recovers and snatches it from him. Stalks Omega with it and back in the ring. Pulls back. He's going to kill him. Uh, but because the cage door, there's no cage door, there's a big gap in it. Don Callis has gotten into the uh, steel cage and he makes the save. He grabs the screwdriver away from John Moxley. Uh, and Omega comes back and he hits John Moxley with a one-winged angel. The match is over. He's got it. He's got the one, two, three. But just as the pinfall is being counted, Don Callis betrays Kenny Omega. He stabs him with the screwdriver. The crowd can't believe it. Moxley just takes advantage of the situation, um, puts his arm over Omega. One, two, three. He's won the match. Brian Danielson is the happiest man in the entire building. Uh, Don Callis is pretty pleased with himself as well. Um, Excalibur's talking about how Callis treated Omega like a son. He was this father figure to Kenny Omega. Danielson's like, I had no idea this was going to happen. Uh, Omega climbs to his knees. It looks like Callis is going to stab him and once more with the screwdriver. Instead, though, he whispers something to Kenny Omega, kisses him on the cheek and throws him down. Uh, and the show ends with Callis walking off, Mac Moxley standing tall, and Omega in a pool of his own blood. Um, what do you make of all this, Sige? Do you want to go first in case you have to shoot off? Go on then. Um, I really, I think this is the best match they've ever had. I thought it was a nice amalgamation of um, the first two, like the in terms of the weapon spots and the way there was a, bl a little bit of barbed wire and a little bit of well, strangulation and dismantling of the ring. It like kind of folded all of it together, and mm. it's as if like their rivalry and the violence between them is too chaotic for wrestling. So things have to be torn down and things have to be broken up, and yet they're still so creative that you get something like the fish hook spot, which I thought was quite nice. The turn was really well executed as well. Um, screwdriver stuff is nice. If you want to, you can say, well, the reason somebody had a screwdriver was because they were trying to fix the cage. So they've even thought enough of that, which I think is to be appreciated and admired. Um, and you got, whilst I don't think, and I think me and Sidgwick have talked a little bit about this on the desks this morning, I don't think I loved this as much as everybody in the consensus. I still loved it a great deal. I don't think... Kenny Omega and John Moxley can have the match. I believe they can have, and I believe that to be a me problem. Like, mm -hmm. I love them so much individually that I think I just expect something beyond reality out of the two of them. As fantastic as this was, a TV main event, as great a spot as the V-trigger through the cage was to set up everything else that followed, and as predictable, but in a good way, the callous turn was to get us really where we need to be getting with this, like, latest elite melodrama. I can't wait, incidentally, for Don Callis to be on commentary during a Kenny Omega match. Yeah. The opposite of his uber hyperbole, which is he's done so well to build for so many years because even though this was predictable, it was still like it was. I was surprised but not shocked or whatever way around it goes. Mm. Like it, when it actually happens, it's like wow, the amount of history they have between each other did resonate as this powerful moment. Um, I'm gonna. There's a lot to unpack here, right? This is a four and a half star main event, right? I think these two are like really capable of breaking the scale, and yet there are like five, six, seven John Moxley opponents I think he works better with than Kenny Omega, and like 15, 20 Kenny Omega opponents that John Moxley works better with. It's weird, it's just never quite as amazing as you think these two are capable mm. of conjuring together. I really, 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 really like this, and there's so much I like to admire and analyze and unpick the viewing experience i was never completely engrossed and i think there's a few reasons for that one i watched it on fight 
John Moxley took about two minutes mm. to disassemble the ring. Like two minutes, and it was just too much. I was taken out of it. Got sucked back in, but I was taken out of it as well. And in pretty short, uh, stark contrast to Winter is Coming, the twist of which no one saw coming, it was presented with 40 hours of the broadcast, and they said, even if there's not enough time, we're starting early, guys, we'll stay with it. It felt like this epic match happening in front of you, and then they did this amazing twist. I never got the feeling that this wasn't just a backdrop for something else, and I think the plotting of the, the brawl early between the BCC and the Young Bucks was flawed, because as soon as I saw that the Young Bucks had been marshaled out of there by security, I instantly received that as, all right, okay, they're explaining why the Young Bucks can't do something at the end of the match because there's inevitably going to be a post-match uh, angle. Okay, yeah. So when I watched that, I just knew they've been taken out of this for a reason, and that reason lingered over everything, and I couldn't immerse myself in it. I will say, like, the amount of thought these guys put into it was so amazing. So this was the good and bad version of everything. The good version of why you break the cage or have a key or whatever to enable an angle to happen because um, they are trying to establish that not even a cage, a big massive structure can contain this violence and hatred. You need an arena to do it. So it was a build to anarchy in the arena. It worked magnificently in and of itself. The way that they destroyed the ring and took the ropes apart like, really sort of made more convincing that incredible V-trigger through the mesh spot. Mm. Like, it was just so well done, and it's typically Kenny Omega to do that. I loved the story of the match and the, the styles, plural, they went with, because it felt like a grudge match and a death match because they did the suspense stop, the suspense stuff that you have to do in a match like this to put over the imminent danger of falling on glass. But they didn't draw it out like a full, pure death match would because it's a grudge match and they hate each other, so they're desperate to put each other through that. I just thought they folded together, the, folded together the elements of a grudge and a death match like to perfection here, as you'd expect from these two guys. But as I said, the angle alert clacks on, the, um, the amount of time Moxley took to unscrew it. And I tell you what, I'm not a big fan of sugar glass as a weapon. Mm. I understand why they did it. Yes. I understand the law going back to the first dynamite. It's all very well thought through. But for me, it's too fake. Mm. Yeah, if it's real, you're like you do run the risk of really horrifying people. Oh, yeah, I'm not out there. But yeah, no, no, I but, do, but yeah. there's no win there, is there? Because yeah, that's the thing. You don't it can't be real. Yeah. And it can't be that fake either. But the four and a half star match. I'm gonna watch it again to see if yeah. the young bucks thing put me in a bit of a mood. And I want to sit. I want to watch it on its own terms. But I, it's a four and a half main event. It's Kenny Omega. I have I have higher standards for Kenny Omega than I do with AEW. That's how highly I think of him. So when he dares, <laughs> dares do one slightly flawed thing, it's like a betrayal. It's a four and a half star match. Like don't come at me. And the uh, I thought the cherry on the icing on the cake here was his. What was it? His, uh, the fallout from all this. If I can't trust my family, who can I trust? It sounds like Lana. I was trying to do it. <laughs> oh my God, to do. Here now. Thank God they've finally got her. Siege is all elite. <laughs> Hangman Page. Okay, got it. 
Uh, right, let us know your thoughts. <laughs> Kenny Omega and Lana. <laughs> She's finally danced her way through the forbidden door. Let us know your thoughts on this show on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Follow me at <laughs> I'm always doing the Daniel Garcia dance. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, me and Hamflet will be answering your burning wrestling questions later on today, and me and Sid will be back tomorrow to look ahead to AW Rampage featuring Action Andretti. Remember him? Uh, anyway, <laughs> right, this has been the AW Dynamite review. Well, thanks to the Daddy Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.